Hi guys, welcome back to Purposefully Yogini episode 17. I hope you had a awesome week and I can't believe that it is February already. Um, nothing too much to report here from Naples. I enjoyed this weekend thoroughly. Sometimes I forget that I live where people vacation and where snowbirds come to retire for the winter. But my friend Cindy and I went to the beach on Saturday and we took a walk down to the Ritz and they have a really fun little sandbar. And we got drinks with fruit and umbrellas and super fun. So it was almost as if I was on vacation. Um, I've been really making sure to create boundaries for myself since work is super busy during season and it's actually going very well and I've been making sure to fill my time with reading and discovering new music that I love, seeing people that I enjoy and calling my friends from back home too because I literally let the first month of the year get away from me. Work was very busy and it just took a lot out of me and it took um it took kind of getting sick to realize that I needed to find a bit more balance. So really thankful for this weekend. Next weekend if you are in the Naples area I'll be hosting um excuse me, an arm balance workshop at Yoga Loft Naples. We'll be dissecting crow, side crow, the sage poses, so kaundanyasana A and B, and forearm balance, because I know a lot of people like to do that. So that will be Saturday, February 18th, from 1.30 to 3.30. And then if you're in Naples also at the end of the month, February 26th, there's going to be an amazing two-hour winter yin workshop focusing on all the yin meridian lines with my favorite, Amy Lucky, and also an acupuncturist town, Teresa Biggs, who has helped me thoroughly. So you won't want to miss these two workshops. The Yoga Loft is buzzing with growth and just wonderful energy recently. I think just season brings out the best in all of the teachers. Well, most of the teachers. But we're doing our thing, being of service, and it feels great. Today, though, however, I'm going to share a little bit about the Bikram yoga practice. Bikram Chowdhury, the, the man, and also what he created. And it's my start, the start of yoga for me. And I haven't delved into that yet in this podcast, which is kind of weird. Um, but I thought that it would be a good time to do so because I went and practiced it today. So it, I had 90 minutes in 105 degrees to really think about what I would share with you guys about this amazing practice that I love. And if I was going to be a snob with any style of yoga, it would still be Bikram as much as I love Ashtanga and I've started practicing Ashtanga obviously more regularly, not so much in season. I will forever be grateful for Bikram. 
So I started my yoga career, I guess you could call it, with this practice back in 2009 in Saratoga Springs at Hot Yoga Saratoga. The owner of the studio was Cindy Lunsford. She was my first teacher. And I started it after a breakup. This one girl suggested that I try it because it's 90 minutes long and then plus commute time there and back. It takes like, you know, a good two hours of your life away from thinking about your breakup. So I said, can't hurt. (laughs) And then when you get home, after your first week of 90 minutes in the heat, you die, essentially. And so you just go straight to bed. So it was perfect. It got my mind off it for sure. And then slowly but surely, these little subtle shifts shifts started to happen. And I realized there is way more to this practice, not just Bikram, but yoga in general, um, that I wanted to learn more about. And I couldn't really deny the changes that were taking place within me and my mood, and my energy, and even just the physical changes as well. Um, Kind of like a cherry on top of the Sunday. So I continued, and continued so much that I started to teach. And I was teaching a bit um, in a rogue style of way. Um, When I start to kind of move forward and speak about Bikram and him as, as a person, and the copyright idea behind it. You'll see why it's rogue style. But uh, for those of you who don't know, Bikram Yoga is a set series. It's a moving meditation that consists of 26 Hatha Yoga postures done in a hot environment of 105 degrees with 40% humidity. The reason being is when Bikram created this, he wanted to mimic the climate of India. So he made it that hot. Um, the reason that he wanted to mimic the climate of India is because when he created this series, um, it was for him to heal himself, to kind of restore his health because he reports that he was in a crippling accident after a weightlifting competition. I think it was a competition, um, that left him, with the idea that he would never be able to walk again. And within six months of this practice, he fully recovered. So he started taking this practice to the States when he immigrated there. And uh, his home base was in L.A. and California. And that was in the 90s. And I'm sorry, that was in the 70s. And then in the 90s is when he started offering a teacher training for it, um, which is nine weeks long because it was from the seventies. He was pretty much the only teacher, a couple other senior master teachers, but it started to grow more and more and he couldn't really deny its growth because the practice itself is genius. And I even wrote an article for AOL, an opinion piece, kind of why I'll always stand behind the practice, the physical asanas, the moving meditation, whereas the man who created it, you know, he's been in the news lately. I'm sure you've heard about the controversies that started kind of in 2014 with kind of allegations of sexual harassment and sexual assault, but not pretty. Um, 
really, really awful things. And I will never, ever condone his behavior, um, even before these allegations kind of came to fruition. But I'm kind of all over the place. So um, just getting back on track and following my notes, um, what is Bikram Yoga? (laughs) So let's get back to that. But it was amazing for me at the time. The reason why I think I loved it is because I was so very type A. And it's the same se- the same sequence every single time. You know what you're going to get. You know what postures are coming next. And you could really start to see your progress because by doing the same things every single time, no variation at all, you notice how your body's starting to change and open and heal. Similar to Ashtanga, um, but there's no vinyasa flow. So... There's no up dog, there's no down dog, there's no flow component at all. These 26 postures, you're holding them for either 1 minute, 45 seconds, or 30 seconds. Uh, Some you hold for 10 seconds. That's the spine series, Um, kind of the meat and potatoes of the practice. But the first 50 minutes or so are standing, and the last 40 minutes are on the floor, which doesn't necessarily equate to uh, ease, but you're on the floor for the last portion of class. And the lights are on. There's no um, there's no room for the teacher to offer too much of their own dialogue um, as it's only a 90-minute class and the dialogue is kind of what makes Bikram yoga um, known, uh, in the postures are the same and the words are the same. And, you know, it's almost kind of broken English because he created it and he literally just took it from India straight to here with no change, no room for change. He was very strict about that. Um, and when you go to the nine week training program, you're practicing twice a day and you are, learning this dialogue and the posture clinics breaking down postures. I never did the nine-week training. I started at Cindy's studio, which is a rogue studio. She didn't call it Bikram Yoga. She called it Hot Yoga Saratoga. So she didn't have to pay any dues to Bikram, and she flew under the radar, radar, which is really cool. Um, There's definitely, I didn't see a need to do so. She she still went to the training um, by all means. She was certified, so so was most of her staff. However, she offered hot vinyasa. Um, And, you know, there are pros and cons to both, but I didn't, I, I totally agreed with her. I didn't think it was necessary. And if we were in a bigger city, maybe that would have, caused the difference for her to go Bikram versus hot yoga, but either way, it is what it is, and it was a wonderful affiliate. Well, I guess it wasn't an affiliate, but it was a wonderful studio. <laughs> um, so yeah, so since I started teaching at Cindy's, she allowed me to do so after about three years of practicing very regular, very consistently. I started teaching a silent Bikram class. So rather than saying the dialogue, I would just say the names of the poses. I would do the practice along with the class in the front of the room. The lights would be a bit lower, which is opposite of the actual copyrighted, well, quote-unquote, he lost his his ability or his claims to keep it copyrighted. But um, 
And we'd play music, which was really enjoyable. And this class wasn't offered daily. It was offered twice a week because there's a necessity to go to an instructional class for sure to make sure that you're not really slipping into some bad habits. And it was a really great blend. So that's how I started with Bikram. And then when I moved to the my next studio that um, also offered Bikram, uh, my new boss, Jessica Fuller, who owns the Hot Yoga Spots, she asked if I would teach Bikram with dialogue, and I said, okay. And so I studied really hard. I listened to the dialogue. I practiced a lot. I made some flashcards, and before you know it, I was teaching about four dialogue Bikram classes a week. And I loved it, and I loved seeing the progression of my students, and I loved... Um, you know, helping where I could help because this practice was pretty much all I was doing for the most part. And despite the controversy that came about in 2014, I still practiced. I know a lot of people stopped practicing and can't, couldn't really get on board um, or behind him anymore, um, which I get. And to this day, I still kind of struggle with it. And I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know if studios, populations, or kind of numbers have dropped because of it. I'm sure some places for, sh- for sure. Um, but I don't know. I, I can't get behind the idea of giving up something physical that's healing to myself because the creator of it is participating in things I don't agree with. Um, So because of these controversies, he lost kind of a lot of rights in the yoga world. Um, He lost his ability to claim his copyright. He lost... um, He lost his ability to pay... To have or receive dues from different studios. Um, In May, he returned back... In May of 2016, kind of just this... um, past year, he returned back to India and began opening yoga studios. So I don't think he's coming back to the United States, which says a lot. Um, He stopped holding his trainings in LA. He started holding them in Thailand and, you know, because pretty much he was he was run out of the country. Um, his wife asked for a divorce, his wife of 31 years and Rajari is amazing. She created the whole Bikram series for, um, women who are expecting, um, children. And there are lots of modifications for those kind of with, you know, in utero, baby in utero. (laughs) Um, so she asked for a divorce. So his life kind of crumbled, um, once these allegations came about allegations of sexual battery, discrimination, harassment, rape, and, 
you know, that's probably a whole nother podcast, but when we have these ideas of gurus, it just, it really bothers me a lot. Um, a lot of people, especially people recovering from an addiction of some sort, they find these practices and they find the creators of these practices and they attach their healing or their recovery to these leaders rather than opening their eyes to the fact that they're doing the work themselves. They're staying sober all on their own or they're not participating in destructive eating habits or, um, you know, gambling or, you know, this practice that they're showing up for day in and day out, this practice that they're doing with their own body, it's them, it's themselves they have to give credit to. And they give it to these gurus, quote unquote, or these creators of these styles of yoga. And it hasn't just happened with Bikram. There's the John Friend controversy. There's a lot of controversy in yoga. It's nuts. But we yogis are feckin' crazy, I guess. Um, but it happens when there's a lot of fame and a lot of success that comes from something you created. I totally get it. Like I see it here in Naples too. It, it happens and not just with yoga, but with anything. Um, it's hard to stay humble and, and that's the yoga. That's the practice. I think only, I can really only think of one really successful, um, Coach Glassman of CrossFit, he seems pretty normal. Um, I don't know. I'm not really that invested in his whereabouts or kind of like what he does. But uh, for creating such a very well-known program that has affiliates all over the world, has, a, you know, the games after, or on ESPN, I mean, you know, He seems pretty down to earth, and I don't know if fame has gotten to his head, but for Bikram Chowdhury, it it had, and um, it was sad. Even when my friend Sally and my friend Chelsea went to training in L.A., you know, they were like, he wears seven watches and has 18 cars, and, you know, he just let money get the best of him, and... If we go back to the limbs of yoga, um, we are taught that less is more and non-attachment and possessions um, are unnecessary. So it's hard. It's hard to get on board. I get why people stopped practicing or are shunning him, and I get that. I totally understand that. However, for me, what this practice does to my mind and my body I will never not practice it because of one person. Um, So it's a personal choice for certain. I am a strong believer in women's rights, and I would never, ever fall into any of the camps where, you know, blaming the victim or anyone who's like, oh, she's lying. I'm not trying to open that can of worms at all. I'm just trying to separate the two, his personal life and who he is versus what he created. And what he created, I think, is pretty brilliant. And when um, we can start to realize that we're the ones doing the work, our self-worth, our self-respect, it's not to be placed, our success or our progress, not success, but our progress shouldn't be placed in the hands of others. 
um, we're doing our own healing. And a good leader should open their practitioner's eyes to that, that they're doing it all on their own. I think there was a quote that says, a good leader doesn't produce or create, a good leader doesn't create followers, a good leader creates more leaders. And that right there is kind of what I'm trying to convey in regards to good old Bicky. So, yeah, so there's that. Um, let's talk about Bikram in Florida because the second I moved here, I got out of the car after my... 20 plus hour road trip and drove straight to the Bikram studio and I died. <laughs> yes. Cause I was in the car for forever, but also because it was April and it was so hot in Florida. So there's something to be said about that. And okay. So now I'm going to definitely sound like an excuse maker and that's totally fine. You can think whatever you want. Because there are dedicated Bikram practitioners down here in Naples that are used to the heat, they've their bodies have, have acclimated, and it doesn't affect the heat and the the dehydrating versus rehydrating process is something they've got a handle on. They somehow have found a, a healthy balance between either electrolyte or Himalayan salt or um, something to keep them coming back day in and day out. I practiced regularly here in Florida through April and May, and I just couldn't do it. My body was starting to shut down on me, and I bought all the fancy electrolytes. I was eating more bananas and drinking more coconut water and literally hydrating all the time, but my body just couldn't keep up. It was too much yang. And yang energy is something that I have an excess of, and I think that's why I have a, a bit more anxiety than most, or who knows, maybe not more than most, but I don't need more yang in my life. And moving down to Florida, it's hot, it's bright, I'm very active, so that's a, a shit ton of yang, and um, my body just didn't feel good after what I practiced for so long in New York, and if you compare the two states, New York, which is gray for the most part, very cold, very yin-like in quality, compared to Florida, which is very yang-like in quality, it's just too much yang, yang on yang on yang versus yin balanced out by a hot yoga practice. So I stopped practicing regularly and I definitely am, I miss it. Like I miss how my body feels from it and I go from time to time and when I go from time to time, it's still hot. However, now in the winter, it's better because there's no humidity, but I don't know. I I struggle. I want to go back and forth. I want to teach there. I I miss it so much. And when I go home up to New York in the cold, I always make sure to practice and it just feels so good and it's just um a dedication that I need to either commit to down here or not. I guess my with my busy schedule and their class schedules. 
it's something I would have to do at least three times a week to really acclimate my body to the heat. And I think I would only be able to do it in the winter, honestly. So I've come to terms with that, but I still love it and I still miss it. And for those of you listening who may have wanted to try it, um, the next portion of this podcast will kind of just be about tips and tricks and frequently asked questions that you might be wondering about um, because it's an intense program. It's an intense sequence and, you know, people are so scared about the 105 degrees and I totally get it. So I'm going to start to just answer some questions about, you know, what if you feel dizzy and nauseous and blah, blah, blah. So we'll get into that for sure. Okay, so... How does Bikram yoga work is a really kind of frequently asked question that I hear or I used to get a lot from students because they're just so confused. Like, you're just standing there and, you know, blah, 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 you're sweating, and but I don't get it. Like, what are we doing? Um, But most of the postures, you apply almost kind of a tourniquet effect by stretching, balancing, using gravity, and creating pressure at the same time blood supply in the arteries and the veins is being cut off. And that helps um, to kind of create this dam effect. So when you release, when you unlock this dam or this gate effect that you created, it causes blood to rush through the veins, the arteries, flushing them out, and The pressure that's applied to the heart is relative to the position of the rest of the body. So really therapeutic in that regard. Um, So kind of when you're doing yoga, your muscles are, when you're doing Bikram, your muscles are contracted and stretched at a cellular and biochemical level. Lipids and proteins reorganize and optimally and in a way that allows for better circulation, joint mobility, range of motion, and strength is also built too, even though people don't think it is. You are definitely using your muscles and joints in a very well-balanced way. Blood and calcium are brought to the bones, and working against gravity strengthens yourself, strengthens your bones too. So, so many things happening. Uh, The immune system within the bones... Um, is boosted, and the lymph nodes are massaged. Lymph is pumped through the body, and white blood cells are distributed regularly throughout the body. So the lymphatic system kind of becomes more efficient. And when you get to the poses where there's compression and extension extension to the body, um, for the most part, it targets the thymus, the spleen, the appendix, intestines, the lungs, and everything is just flushed and increased blood circulation can take place. There are things happening kind of at a hormonal level because the endocrine glands are encouraged to secrete the appropriate hormones. There's communication between the hormones and the various glands of the body and toxins and waste can be eliminated from this practice as well just because you're sweating so much. So, so many things taking place and... That is why when you're in the room, it's not unusual to feel nauseous or dizzy, um, especially in your first class, because you're doing things to the body that you've never, ever, ever done before.
So people typically ask, you know, I feel dizzy, nauseous, so very tired after the first class. Is this typical? And it's so very typical. Um, Practicing yoga in the heated room reveals kind of your present condition. So you are face like like confronted face on with what's taking place in your body now. Are you hydrated? Are you, you know, exercising at all? And for people who've gone from like zero to not, you know, to this practice, they're going to, it's like a punch in the face. <laughs> um, so in the heated room, your body needs adequate water to allow perspiration, excuse me, to release heat from the body as you practice. So People who like wipe their sweat or hate sweating, you know, that's your body's natural air conditioning. It's it's the way your body cools down. So it's so necessary for your body to sweat so that we don't overheat. And, you know, once you have enough water in the body, it can tolerate the heat better and you actually start to crave the heat. And it's so true. I love practicing in heated rooms now, and I'm thankful because my studio at Yoga Loft, we heat it to about 90, it gets up to like 86, 87, but at the same time, um, the humidity here in Florida is always pretty high, so we don't need to add extra humidity to the room. Um, Currently now in the winter, the humidity is always at like a 30 or 40, so it's similar to the Bikram requests. However, it's not as hot, but I love when the humidity is up because I just love dripping sweat. Like, it's my favorite pastime. I don't know why. It just feels so good and cleansing, like I'm reborn. There's this amazing Bikram quote that's, that, that reads, first you feel like dying, then you feel reborn. And it's so true because you just put your body through so much intensity and then you wake up the next day and you're like, I want to do this again. Um, but when you're in that heat and, you know, the the sensations that you feel, you know, it, it's a real good indicator if, if you're lacking potassium or if you're depleted in um, kind of other necessary nutrients for your body. Um, sometimes even it, it'll be, you can tell if you're not sleeping well or taking care of yourself well and the skin, when it starts to detox, you might realize the foods that you're eating are not really conducive to your practice. So it's a snowball effect that starts to takes place takes starts to take place once you start with this heated yoga or any style of yoga too. You don't want to impede what takes place on your mat. And I've been running these challenges at Yoga Loft, and that's the biggest thing, you know the women that want to lose weight or that's their goal is when you start practicing and feeling so good on the mat, you're not going to want to do things outside of the studio that are going to make you feel like poop on your mat. And yeah, obviously life is meant to be lived and we're supposed to strike a healthy balance, what have you. Um, but you're not going to want to do things that regularly impede your practice because you will start to feel how good your body can feel. And sometimes we don't even know that until we try. So it's it's really quite beautiful. Um, but same thing goes for Bikram. And the heated room really shows you. It's a mirror um, for what's taking place in the body right now. So for your first class, you know, drinking a lot of water, um, 
obviously about an hour before stop drinking water so you don't have a full belly um eating nutrient dense hydrating foods um probably stopping eating before th- 3 hours before class if you know your digestive system maybe 2 hours but for me it's definitely 3 and you know just go with an open mind go with the idea that you might lay down the entire time <laughs> i definitely faded fast because it's a marathon it's not a sprint it's a lifetime journey a lifetime practice so going with really low expectations which just doesn't sound super motivating but it actually helps a lot (laughs) Um, after your first class you can feel very tired and that's normal and that's actually a good sign that your body is getting rid of things when we detox and you know whether we're detoxing in a hot room, or if you just took a week off of coffee, you know, you feel your body changing. And that's a good sign something's taking place within you that needs to take place. So it's a good sign if you start to feel tired or groggy or, or your, you know, maybe skin blemishes or rashes. Um, Very normal. Your body is ridding itself of what it's not meant to hold on to. However, the more you continue to practice Bikram, and just like any yoga too, you'll start to feel more energized, and uh, your sleep will improve, your mood will improve, and you know, typically you'll feel sore, stiff after your first class, maybe even your first week, it depends kind of what body you're um, coming with, or um, you know, even runners and bikers, they're using different parts of their body, so your body's just waking up and coming alive and you're going to want to keep it going. Uh, you, You can't deny that fact for sure. And lastly, like what you might feel after class is just this immense hunger. Um, however, some people also lose their appetite, but both reactions are, are very normal because you're kind of putting your body in this state of fight or flight especially your first class, Um, even though the breath is only through the nose, except in the beginning and the end, um, your body stays in rest and digest in the the room, but you're throwing yourself into this situation that you've never even been in. So after your first class or your first week or so, you'll start to notice changes in your appetite patterns for sure. And... um. I think the only other thing that I'll include that um, I always used to wonder is about, you know, so since there are the same practices or the same postures every single time, you know, I feel like aren't we leaving things out? And I used to be so interested to learn about how to do inversions, how to get upside down, handstands, headstands, shoulder stand, forearm balance, and I didn't understand why Bikram didn't include these inversions in the series and simply put he feels it's more important um excuse me to do the postures that are outlined in his method because it safely builds a strong foundation and once I read that and heard that I a thousand percent agree with this crazy man because I only did Bikram for the first three years of my yoga journey And then I started to dabble in vinyasa and barkid method, which I'll describe in a bit. But because I had the most 
well, the strongest foundation from these very beginner postures. I was strong enough and connected to my body enough to float up into headstand the first time I tried it to get crow pose. And I obviously had to get over the mental fear of it, but at the same time, my body was safely inverting because I had the strength that it needed to do so. And I did it in a correct way, a slow, mindful way. And you're getting the benefit. So inversions help blood flow to the brain. They help reduce blood pressure. Some compress the thyroid gland. So there are so many different benefits to inversions. And you're getting those benefits in Bikram's class just in different postures. So there are three postures that I can think of. The first forward fold, so the head's below the heart. Um, Rabbit pose where you're lifting your hips up away from your heels, but the chin and chest are connected, so you're stimulating the thyroid. Uh, Separate leg, forehead to knee, the head's below the heart too, and you're compressing the thyroid gland in the same way. Um, So there there are postures in this practice that give the same effect and benefit as inversions without having to like balance on two hands. So there's that. And... Um, yeah, so I think I touched upon it all. Um, the, the reason that I kept going back was because of how I felt so balanced emotionally, um, psychologically regular practice can harmonize the nervous system and the endocrine system. And those two symptoms are so very intertwined and pretty much the essence of having um, a balanced emotional well-being. So there's that part, but at the same time you have to practice in this state of focus. So it cultivates kind of the mental facilities of self-control, concentration, determination, um, and (laughs) certainly patience. And um, that's, the thing I had the most trouble with, um, maybe because I'm an only child, maybe not, but um, learning patience because it's a lifetime practice. So as you become more aware of your insides, your inner life, um, you notice how um, off the mat you can kind of parallel these two things and um, you start to become aware of how much choice and how much you can exercise choice, your choice to respond um, so that really helps the emotional life balance. And and that's one of the reasons why I kept going back time and time again. And even just talking about this and going today, it jazzed me up like I really want to start. It's just, you know, and I, and this could be a whole nother podcast, but I'm making excuses like my schedule's nuts. Ew, even just saying it out loud, I'm like, ew, Lindsay, you're one of those people. Oh, I don't have enough time. You know, I could get up at 6 a.m. and go. However, being of service, being a yoga teacher myself, I need to take care of myself in ways that are totally different than working a 9 to 5. So while, yes, I'm not working as many hours as I was when I sat behind a desk, I'm working in different ways where I am literally giving 
all of my attention and energy to the people that I'm serving, whether it's in a group class or a private or at the clinic, and it is so taxing. And when I get a chance to sit on my couch and read a book or just close my eyes, I I have to do that for myself. And I will keep you posted, I guess, next week (laughs) to see if I went back to Bikram again this week. But even just sometimes once a month for me, it like brings me back home. It's so comforting. It's so reminding of the fact that this is where I started and look at me now. And I have, honestly, I swear I have the Bikram practice to thank for my determination in pursuing this dream of mine and achieving my goals and being so focused. I obviously think it comes with age too, for sure. Um, And I was always a very diligent and very conscientious person. However, this practice kind of heightened those qualities in me. So where in college and grad school, I was like, you know, going through the motions, doing what I needed to do, making sure I got my grades. Now, when I know there's something I want and there's something that I love or I'm passionate about, I have like this, well, I guess um, what Bikram quotes, this bulldog determination. (laughs) And I I guess I didn't, I really, I didn't even write that in my notes. And I'm surprised I didn't because it's a big part of him. He says that everyone who's practicing yoga has bulldog determination and the strength of a Bengal tiger. So I guess it does really breed that because when I have my sights set on something, I am like kind of all about it. I'm all in. And I, I think that's a good thing. I guess maybe I should process that a little more now that I'm sharing it with the world. But yeah, I think it's a good thing that I'm all in. Not like obsessively all in, but when it's something that's going to better myself or better my career or better my family or better the people around me, I'm for sure all in. Um, so yeah, so that was a lot of information. My, I'll leave you with the fact that I think you should try it. I think, you know, if you were being a little puss about it, um, just get into the room, especially if you're in upstate New York listening to this. Go to the hot yoga spot. Go see Sally. Go see Bethany. Go see my loves. I miss them so much. And if you're in Naples, Jeanette, who has the hot yoga studio down here, she's she has a wonderful space. And she's very serious and very dedicated to this practice. And I admire that because it's obviously changed her life so much so that she opened a studio. And for... Pretty much every Bikram practitioner who's, you know, gone once and then gone again, you know, I think after that first class, it either clicks for some people or it doesn't. However, that's when you have to go back to the idea that when the student is ready, the teacher will appear because everything's not for everyone. And um, that's another podcast, too, where I can't get the over the people who are like super snobby about one practice and not another because we're all so different. We're made up of different cells. We're made up of different genes and 
what works for me is not going to work for my friends and what works for them is not going to work for their friends. And so as yogis, especially yoga teachers who are listening to this, if you are um, kind of in one camp, that's awesome. But judging another practice, totally not okay. Um, Not okay in my eyes. And what's to say one healing modality works for you is not going to work for someone else. And wouldn't you just want that person to do what's best for them and to kind of benefit from something? And if there's no reason to put down another practice, even if that person who created it is a crazy rapist. <laughs> oh, it's so sad. Um, but yeah, so that was a lot. It's 44 minutes. I love Bikram practice. I love the Bikram yoga practice. Don't love Bikram yoga, the man. Bikram Chowdhury, the man. Um, and drink a lot of water, even if you don't ever do Bikram. And the best counter to Bikram yoga is to have a weekly yin practice. Even if it's just once a week, you'll feel the difference and your Bikram practice will thank you. So with that said, I'm going to close out. If you have any questions about the practice, feel free to email me. Uh, I hope I touched on all of what I thought were the important things. And don't be a hater. Bye.